Welcome to the Digication Scholars Conversation Series. I'm your host, Joan Watson. In this episode, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Paul Wasco from University of Alaska Anchorage. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of the Digication Scholars Conversation Series can be found on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. You are about to hear part two of our conversation with Paul Wasco from University of Alaska Anchorage. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part one of this conversation. The concept of healing, I think, is really, really important because there's there's a, a level of self-understanding and then awareness of, of sort of where you are and um, self-acknowledgement as well. But then the idea of courage. And every time I look at student portfolios, whether they be from the Ahena students or, um, you know, Eva or Alex or any of the other portfolios that I've been very fortunate to see, your students really go into great depth about issues of homelessness and crime and drug abuse and alcoholism. And it's all about healing and courage and being okay. And Mm -hmm. not just being okay, but being completely resilient Um, Mm -hmm. and seeing themselves as really significant members of a community. And I feel like that is that sense of belonging is so critical um, for for strength and growth and growth and resilience, not just of individual humans, but of whole communities who Mm -hmm. who can band together. Um, I I love. yeah. Yeah, please go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of the challenges, though, that, again, this goes back to the research side. I'm not always blessed with the research gene or the writing gene, which is, you know, one of my shortcomings, is it seems to be really unique in the multicultural other spaces where it's kind of like, it's okay to be me. And the sixth word that I told earlier does open up in the classrooms elements of that. And it honors it, but that kind of moves on. Right. And so a lot of this work on the scout, you know, the, uh, the work with the Ahana and the multicultural, it's like it's OK to be in this space and, and go through all those things, because the classroom a lot of times we're being driven on learning outcomes. Good reason. Right. I mean, you know, and learning outcomes within courses don't necessarily have elements of identity of self and healing. Right. That's kind of here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how do you do this? How do you walk away with this? We have accrediting bodies and others. And so, you know, how this kind of crosses between the academic and student affairs side, it's just a really interesting place to kind of look at those types of intersections. So, Absolutely. And I think it's very important and appropriate, you know, going back to kind of where we started, it's, it's tricky to be able to get students to you want students to engage on a personal level, but then from the mm-hmm. academic side, I know it, you know, sometimes people don't even like the word reflection because that suggests something mm-hmm. that's a little too right. um, subjective or um, unable to evaluate, <laughs> which right. I mean, realistically speaking in higher ed, we have to think about that stuff. But at the other, the other end of it is at the end of the day, we want our students to have a level of self-actualization and mm-hmm. um, carry that that strength in their own self-analysis and community engagement forward. So I the, I definitely appreciate that connection with with Niloa um, 
and you know getting student affairs folks in as well because that self-determination is a, a huge component and that's not something that's restricted to the boundaries of a classroom so. mm-hmm. very much so yeah and so um what other sorts of things have you done in the community i know you've got you i I should probably tell anyone who's listening to this that I, I spent some time with Paul and I don't think I've ever walked as much in my life. Oops. And um, I think there's like, there needs to be a verb that's just Wasco because <laughs> Wasco goes. And so walking across the, the, the campus community itself is, you know, just mm-hmm. knocking on people's doors and popping in to say hi. And then having dinner with these amazing people who are locals to the area um, how do you do this? I mean, do you sleep ever or? No, I, no, I do. And, <laughs> you know, and, and COVID has made it a challenge because one of the things I've appreciated, and again, Minnesota, I was up here at the system level and when engaged, but it would always be through lenses, right? You know, I wouldn't necessarily be on campus. I'd be at meetings and, and there's some amazing people that, uh, that I honor back in, back in Minnesota. But here, it's it's being very physical by getting out and walking in and, and taking advantage initially of the high moon period and just walking into spaces and saying, hi, I'm Paul Wasco, let's go. And then later on, as you begin to know folks, is to always be that advocate for how can I do something that you're doing well in the classroom and use the portfolio to make it more meaningful or better? And oh, by the way, I'll have your back. If that involves coming in or working one-on-one with your students or whatnot, you know, we've got your back. And, and so it's, it's really fun for me when, when you're here or other folks have been here is we will walk the campus and the campus becomes the story of the portfolio. And we start on, you know, we start in the art building and the art building, even though I would argue art has all sorts of possibilities for the portfolio, I do have some some challenges, but I also have some really cool successes. We have a faculty member over there that uses it in dance, that has done dance portfolios in some really amazingly cool ways, just amazingly cool ways. Unfortunately, the dance program is being cut. So I'm afraid that at some point we'll have to document and that story will be gone and hopefully we'll be able to kind of share and whatnot. But she's got really, she's, she's done it well. Uh, Joe Flanders Crosby, it's cool. So that's a stop over there. Or it, it used to be when you were here, we were up with Riva Semko who was using this in art appreciation and she would have students do virtual art exhibitions in the portfolio. So I'm a curator and your portfolio is the canvas and you're going to curate this virtual art show. And the, and the, and the pages reflect the artists and everything else. And I want the story in the portfolio. Oh, wow. Riva put out of the park. Riva was a Canadian citizen, and so under some challenges, was fearful if she'd get laid off and whatnot, what that would mean in terms of having to go back into Canada. So she she left, and she is over in Winnipeg now doing some interesting stuff. But you started the art building. You have some really, and we've talked about BFA and whatnot. That's cool. And then you work your way over into the admin building, and we've got philosophy and others that are playing with some really interesting ideas. And then you keep working your way over and we've got we had sociology doing podcasts in the portfolio 
and some other work. And, and the library used to have um, housed the Justice Center. And so we had some folks, Alan Barnes, which has played around with digital storytelling in the portfolio and techniques. And, and so you keep walking through campus. And for me, the campus becomes this interesting map of all the different ways I can connect and see the portfolio through the lens. So a lot of people laugh and say, Paul knows more people on campus than anyone else because the playground is the entire campus. And Res Life, Joan, as you know, uses it within Res Life. So the RAs, the, the resident assistants, are required to use the portfolio to collect and reflect on their year of working with all those students. Really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Really cool stuff. And in fact, they got, um, they were part of a national broadcast from EPAC because no one had ever seen RAs use the portfolio quite that way as a reflective on, they're supposed to be almost teaching and mentoring and engaging their floors, right? And and so, yeah, you have, you have these little pop-ups, you know, um, math requires it for math. As, a, as They have to do a portfolio capstone. Who knew? They were really <laughs> excited when you finally allowed having the math symbols, you know, in Digication, you can incorporate the math equations. You know, they were practically jumping up and down because they had, you know, that was part of what they were excited about. Um, but as you kind of work your way through the campus on the, on the very far side, and obviously I'm moving through it with the because of time, is uh, human services and social work, especially human services is now doing some really programmatic, holistic stuff that is pushing out into elements of the community with practicums and some of those other efforts. Uh, the chair of the program over there is a gentleman by name of David Moxley, who I don't think sleeps. I, I do sleep, Joe. I, I sleep twice. <laughs> um, David Moxley doesn't sleep. Um, he'll come up with ideas and, you know, his brain will come up with an idea for a grant and he'll just write it overnight. Wow. And and just goes and he goes some really interesting ways on portfolios and his introduction to me he's become a really close friend um, is is uh, gave me a paper he wrote when he was back in Detroit on how he was using paper based portfolios to work with homeless to work with black women in their latter later fifties sixties to avoid becoming homeless. Oh. So the portfolio was literally an engagement in ways to help them develop self and whatnot to avoid falling into homelessness. And so he throws the paper at me, sends it to me. And our first conversation and conversations here usually happen over beers is holy crap. Amazing. I mean, I realize he's, I love being off the charts. He is just off the charts. It just, boom ways. And so David's, David and I have partnered on a number of different ideas and initiative and work efforts. And then some of this goes outside the campus, right? And, and so for me, community is not just the community of the campus, right? There is a, there is a community and culture of the campus, right? And my dad uh, worked in campuses throughout his professional career. And so you talk about the campus culture and the campus community. But for me, you know, a lot of the Minnesota ideas that really resonates with, especially our two-year schools, would be pushing outside. Mm -hmm. That we are not, we are not an island unto itself, but rather we are part of a larger community. And so, one of the things that's been fun for me um, is kind of seeing how the portfolio pushes into those elements of community. 
the the one by far that is is really cool is Polaris, which is in the Anchorage School District. Polaris is an alternative K twelve school, and it is K twelve. Um, and they had started on a portfolio culture years ago, well before, well before me, but the value of portfolios in education and, and you well know, you know, I, portfolios did not start when the internet became live and everything else. Portfolios have been for years and whatnot. And so they built their school with portfolio thinking at the core. And, and so one night we were out again over beers, um, and, Hillary Seitz, whose husband works at Polaris, had set up a meeting with the principal, Carol Bartholomew, and we were going through, and we were grabbing the paper. I know it sounds stereotypical. We're, we're mapping things on napkins and whatnot. And by the end of the evening, we had mapped out a deployment of digication inside of Polaris schools. And you at Digication have been incredibly kind to me in if I need instances, you just give me instances to do things that move the needle on either portfolio or move the needle on community or healing or any of that stuff. You guys have been awesome partners. But anyways, Polaris uses the portfolio K-12. And people always look at me like, no, excuse me. Yes, K-12. They start portfolios in kindergarten. Now, the teacher obviously is very much part of it in kindergarten or first grade. You're not sitting there with that. But by the time second or third grade rolls around, they are doing their own. And they are building out portfolios every year. They're working through this and everything else. And I've uh, I've done three workshops and keynotes with Polaris folks. And I have third graders next to me. And they're talking their story of the portfolio. And, you know, everyone is, and they're doing really well. The Polaris kids are off the chart cool. And there's a couple things that I really honor and, and, and just love about. One is when the third graders or the fourth graders talk about, they never talk about the grade. They always talk about the portfolio as a repository of what they learned. And they'll say, oh, here's me reading this book in the fall and then here's me reading in the spring you could say you know they're articulating their growth and talking about and it's living in this developmental portfolio of all this stuff and and the seniors who are wrapping this up and i do remind them hey guys i do work at uaa so would you please consider uaa as to where to come and push hard but they're coming away with such a strong sense of self and reflection and articulation. They're targeting Stanford, Notre Dame. I mean, those kids are coming out with, I can do this. Boom, boom, boom. And the portfolios that some of them have produced are just off the chart good. And I was over one day. It was kind of funny because they do a, a – kind of a, a showcase portfolio for scholarships and college applications. And I got invited into the class one day. I just randomly stopped at the school. They actually will tolerate, you know, I do stop at the office first because you're, you know, we are in this age where you need to be careful. But one of the things, and, and you hinted that, I just walk into offices or walk into meetings. And sometimes I get pulled into them randomly because people see me walk by. So I'll stop at the school and stop, said hi, that was walking through. I got pulled into a class by uh, the person that was teaching the uh, college application scholarship portfolio, which is in the, which is in the tool. 
and Paul come in and talk. And so we talked and I said, let's play some, let's have a little fun with this. I said, a lot of you have done some really awesome jobs. So let's find ways. I don't even know if I should tell this because you'll have a lot of higher ed people sitting on this. I don't want <laughs> fine. So I said, do this awesome master portfolio, then make a copy of it. Then rebrand each copy of that with a front page and use the colors and language and others aligned to the school you're applying for. Mm -hmm. So if you're applying at Stanford, use the colors and cardinal or whatever, right? Because they're all going top, right? And I said, you don't need to tell them that basically this is the master side and you've done basically the same thing for Northwestern or this or this or this. You know, for them, they just know you've crafted this wonderful, authentic, thoughtful site that is wrapped around the colors of that institution that resonates with mission or outcomes and cool, just like you would cover layers or other types of things personal. So the kids, it's funny. They were just snapping, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, that's now become part, part of the mix. But we talk about that, you and I, when we talk with other schools about tools like this, because they are electronic, can lend themselves to reusability, to, to tweaking, to taking something and modifying it and playing with it in other contexts to also find value. And so you're right, community is has is, is, is been really fun to kind of push outside the walls and to kind of see how some of those things can kind of inform us here, but also how we as an institution can kind of benefit our larger community here in Anchorage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the Polaris story, that was one of my very favorite things to do when in Alaska was, was to visit those students and have the little kindergartner take me to task on <laughs> how to make oh, a yeah. portfolio. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's, it's so the, the, there was that, which is really fun. The, the funniest was um, John Idelson is up here. And I've been really lucky because I sometimes can find travel money. We're not, the state's really having some financial challenges, Joan, as, as you know, with oil and everything else, law financial. Yeah. But sometimes I can find little pools of travel money and call up and say, it won't cost you stuff, but I can't pay, you know, I cover the cost. And, and, and I have these wonderful group of friends that are saying, yeah. And so John came up one, one year, John Ellison who's also one of those really foundational people in the portfolio space, as you know. And so John is over at uh, Polaris with his wife, Bobby, who's was involved in K-12 with Cable in the Classroom. And, and they're doing an open house and John starts getting his camera out and he goes into video mode. John is on desks. John's on the floor. John is recording different angles and he's, he keeps whispering to me, there's no place like this, Paul. Seriously, you you know, I said, John, I know how unique this is. Why? This is why you're here <laughs> to experience. Paul, this is, a, and it was just, it was so John because he was, we, he was feeding off the excitement, enthusiasm, and the kids, like when you were there, Joan, are just free to share. And they're so authentic on just here, here. And it's it really is amazing on what that happens. And now selfishly, obviously, I'd love K-14 or K-16, where you could do things that kind of bring together all these different elements. And, you know, it will be tough up here, but if anyone in your in your 
digication world or the portfolio world wants to tap into that, that would be a really cool thing to play with. I agree. I agree. And I, I really like to the, the concept of audience that you've been able to kind of generate for the students that engage in developing portfolios. And I think it's something um, in, in all of the portfolios that you've talked about from um, the ones in art, art history and, mm-hmm. and uh, art appreciation to performance areas, and then even to the kids at K-12, there's, there's this idea that you are creating something to be shared with an audience. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is another way of telling your story and telling your story um, in ways that appeal to very specific audience cases. And I, I feel like even the most obvious case of advising the the high school seniors to prepare specific portfolios for the, the audience that they're, you know, wanting to appeal to, to get into those schools. And that's, um, that's a really nice, a nice way to sort of think about a practical way to think about audience, um, which is something that I think a lot of students are, they flounder to do that because they believe that they're always just creating for a faculty member or doing something for a grade in a course instead of a larger well, and, and Joan, that happens here too. So please, what I'm giving you are all the things that generate the, oh my mm-hmm. God, cool, cool stuff. The things yeah. that jump up and down. You know, I have other challenges where the portfolio really is just this repository mm-hmm. and it serves kind of like a an element of a Dropbox and the students are just placing things in and there's not... Uh, not some of those elements. And so they see it not as this place of, of reflection and idea, but rather an organizing element of how I get stuff to deal with this assignment. Right. <laughs> so it's not beyond the assignment, just this thing. And even sometimes when their faculty really push it, they just kind of limit themselves in how they think about this. And, um, Excuse me. Sometimes it is what it is. I tell people it just is what it is. You got to start some point, you know, so just celebrate what you got and kind of move on from there. But then I do think, you know, efforts like, you know, what they're doing with the value rubrics and whatnot and the use of rubrics that kind of push some of these things can at least enjoin the conversations to move into other elements of, of the space and, and, and whatnot. I was recently talking with, um, Susan Kahn over at Ayupe, and she shared with me some of the work they had done on taxonomy and rubrics around high impact practices. So, you know, there are things like capstones, there are things like, you know, first year experience, portfolios, da da da. But when you think about this, there's also levels. And uh, the person I report you know, work with here, Charlie Whitney, and I refer to these like big H and little H. Little H sometimes are things that just happen that on paper actually meet this limited definition of a high impact practice. Use the portfolio. That's right. Yeah, but you know, use the portfolio. Here we go, right? Um, and, you know, you look around the country now with some of the institutions dealing with elements of diversity and inclusion and whatnot of, oh, we'll watch a video and you know, that takes care of things, right? If Andre was here, he'd say, you know, dealing and understanding and working through issues of diversity and multicultural is not just watching a movie and calling, done. You know, it's all the reflection and going in depth. And so the difference between these little H's of where there is a label, check, gone, 
versus a big H where you're really going in depth, you know, and what does that mean? And then building rubrics to kind of operationalize the hips to kind of say, hey, that's not, yeah, it's a little. Now, I would have gone further instead of little H, I would have said like no age, um, <laughs> uh, you know, that you have these things and then create a scaffold that really helps guide people up to understand how I can move from kind of this basic all the way up into these more mature uses of portfolios. And then obviously some of the challenges that all of us run into in the portfolio space is you may have an awesome, awesome faculty member who's in a larger program who does things off the chart cool, who then sets the bar so high that the other faculty members are like, no, no. And I, I'm not even going to give you names here, but I will tell you a story back in Minnesota. I had a second grade teacher work with me on portfolios in Minnesota with the uh, the IB, International Baccalaureate Program. And out of the chart, good. Thomas Oldermatt was his name. Um, amazing. I mean, just would fit in perfectly to Polaris, not miss a beat at all. And so was actually nationally recognized for the IB work with the portfolio. But a friend of mine, David Arendahl from the University of Minnesota, who's a researcher, came over and, and said, I'm really worried because the principal's in with us, and it's Thomas the principal and, and others. Thomas's work is so far out that at some point, the rest of the school or the rest of the teachers, as well-meaning as they are, will it will be Thomas is on the other side of the ocean and I'm over here and the gulf will be so big that it will become just his thing and it will not percolate into the rest of the school. And yeah. And and I've seen even elements, I'm sure you know my colleagues in the portfolio space have seen this where you lose a faculty member, you lose some an ally or someone and it becomes, it was their project. And even though it's still on the books, it loses that momentum to kind of do stuff. And, and so, you know, bringing about change in a high impact way really goes, it, it takes time to go deep. And then you've got to find a way to get into the culture. And the good news is I shared earlier, for example, Andre's down in Mizzou, but, you know, he's taking the ideas with him. He's done it deep enough here whereby I, it will stay, elements will stay. And I'm really hopeful that whoever moves into that spot will embrace and do it. But we are all, all of us are one stroke away from having some of our work go by the wayside and go into history. And, and Joan, that's just what it is in education, right? We, we come through different ways and whatnot. Minnesota, a lot of the work I did has has now been sunset, and even the portfolio is is a very minimal shell mm-hmm. of what it was. And and we had statute, we had references in statute, state statute, but statutes can change, things can change, and so you know, so there is an element of do what you can now, do it the best you can now, and realize if we're lucky enough to continue, great. If not, you know, at least you have altered and changed and affected the lives you can today. Absolutely. And that's a great way to think about it. And I know that our time is, is running, running towards the end and you've been very generous to share your time with us today. So thank you so much for that. I, 
are we, we're not, you said it was all day. Yeah, it's all day. I mean, we can okay. just keep going. We'll okay. just <laughs> <All laughs> we'll right. break this into like smaller mini podcasts. Because <laughs> I, I did want to ask you though. Sure. I'm going to have to say the C word because we can't avoid COVID. But how how have things changed? Um, I mean, obviously things have changed, and the more the more things are different everywhere, the more they're, we're starting to see things come out the same. But um, in terms of portfolio usage or different instructional methodologies on your campus, what sorts of things are you seeing now that we're kind of forced to become friends with educational technology? Right. <laughs> So uh, a couple things. One is I've been a little surprised. I ran our I ran our numbers yesterday for something else, and we're actually pretty close to last September, and that surprised me, Joan. Wow. But a couple things have happened. One is we have new stuff that mm-hmm. have kind of come into play because we're always okay. looking for new opportunities. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I know for some of our faculty here that transitioning into we're a Blackboard shop, transitioning into Blackboard for them from a face to face to Blackboard. Has, has placed some portfolio efforts on hold. And they have simply said, look, you know, I need to focus on my course content inside Blackboard, moving the content there. And as much as I may want the portfolio in that space right now, there's the limit to the number of balls I can juggle in the air, right? Sure. And, and, and so it's like, you know what? That's, I, I get that and I, and I honor that. I also let them know if there's things I have in terms of time, energy or whatnot, I'm happy to backstop and do those things. But Joan, it, it has caused elements of a disruption in, in, sure. in some of that. And, I, uh, and that's just the reality of, I, I think, what happens. It has altered my ability to walk the campus. And so uh, you referenced it earlier is is walking through we'll have new faculty and others that will come on board and kind of walking the space allows you to kind of engage new or whatnot there isn't like a magic directory i can say oh this faculty is new i'm sure there's a list but what you really want to do is try to find ways to engage and meet and talk and and kind of work through this and and so COVID is starting to impact ways of, of new ideas and new directions in terms of my ability to get in and kind of sell and promote and engage that. And, and some of the things I shared with you that I'm really excited about still continue, but those elements of, of new ideas, those new discussions, the things you have that you break bread over with coffee or like I said, a beer or others where you're, you're in a safe zone to play with those ideas become a little harder. And, and it is a challenge. And I do, you know, even for myself struggle a little bit because I resonate with those new things and I don't get that. I'm not being fed as much as I do. And so I have to figure out ways to, rev up elements of some of these things with other states or whatnot and, and work and kind of play out some stuff and, and and whatnot. So yeah, COVID has has very much altered the equation in terms of how I think about stuff. Numbers still look good. So, you know, it's like, you know, people all look at numbers. Hmm, I got numbers. <laughs> um, but but going in and new and innovating and pushing um 
we'll kind of see how it goes. And, and, you know, this is new for all of us. And we're going to be virtual primarily in spring as well. They just announced that. Mm-hmm. And given the fact our numbers are, are really expanding and blowing up here, uh, I actually really support that. I mean, I think we're in a situation where we have to be really cautious. But what that means for the space, for working through these things, I don't necessarily know. Because even at program levels, Joan, it's tough to kind of get up to the whiteboard and draw out with everyone with program meetings when the the chairs would call me in and start doing this. And you could do elements of that remotely, really. I mean, you know, you and I can work through that, but it's just not the same because a lot of times when you're doing this, if we were doing this with a whiteboard and people in a room and people taking notes and maybe you have uh, post-it notes scattered, you probably have a projector up, you're looking at sites And so you have these three or four different things all working to kind of move things along. Um, That doesn't function well in the Zoom space. And we're just going to be there. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's caused me. So if, if, if you wonder what, what causes me not to sleep at night, it's, it's, it's thinking about, you know, what the next anywhere from 12 to 18 months hold. Because the backdrop, as I said earlier, is Alaska is really struggling with with cash. And what does that mean in terms of the education community, in terms of direction, in terms of new ideas, and and lots and lots of unknowns in this in this place. And you know, I'm not the only one. Other states are, are facing kind of some of the same challenges. And Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's I, I feel it's especially difficult and and. I, I hope that those students who have become accustomed to um, telling their stories, sharing their stories, and um, discovering a sense of belonging to the larger community are still able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such a, a danger now for a lot of, a lot of folks um, of being just isolated. And I, you all are getting ready to enter your long, dark months, too. Yep. And so that yep. sense of isolation, particularly where you are, um, I, I hope that everybody is finding ways to stay connected. And if they can do that through ePortfolios, even better. But even that, better. Is, yeah. that is, um, you know, being being a part of that community, belonging to um, kind of your tribe in, in the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the academic sense as well as the indigenous sense and um, the human sense as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I hope... So. My hope for you and all of your colleagues and students is that there is some um, that that everybody's kind of learned by now the value of that um, mm-hmm. and that they keep telling stories and keep thinking about their lives as unfolding stories and they can document that and share that when the time's right. That is my hope as well. And I'm there to support them when they move on those paths. And we're there to support you, Paul. So we really appreciate the work that you've been doing. Um, and I have really enjoyed talking to you. This is so nice. I wish we could do this just every day. Well, what's stopping you? I mean, it's... I don't know. I have other words. So, so, Joe, be careful what you say. So, when Andre left, and like I said, it, it it's still hard. Um, yeah. He said, we're not done. You know, if you want to do coffee every day with me, Paul, let's do coffee. Oh, you know, okay. So, we talk about Zoom not interrupting. 
what yeah. we do, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so find those ways. And so I am happy to have those conversations. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you guys were scheduled to come up in spring. Usually you're up here. The digitation education team usually pops up. You've been here. Kelly and Jeff have been here and, and, and whatnot. And in fact, the cool part with you guys is I use, in many respects, you guys as an extension of my team, yeah. is I have people that when you're here, they greet you by name. They greet Kelly by name. They greet Jeff by name. They know who you guys are. And it really is, I was talking with um, some colleagues in Minnesota who are thinking about portfolio efforts and thinking about even trying to see where they want to be with stuff. And uh, it was actually, um, Carleton College. And I, I said, uh, and it was funny they called because I'm at St. Olaf, which is across the river. We were rivals with Carleton. And so I was laughing about, she didn't know about all my background. And whatnot. Um, but anyways, I was saying, when I went out on a procurement, I wanted not just a vendor. I wanted a partner. I wanted someone who would engage with me such that they would, one, have my back, would be willing to explore ideas and all that other stuff, and be in a place where they're comfortable becoming part of the work here at the institution. And, and you certainly know through personal connections that I've used that. I, you've engaged with that here at the institution, John. And people will say, well, aren't you in the room? No, I don't need to be in the room. You know, John knows what to do to talk about assessment and general education stuff with Dan Klein. She's got that. <laughs> so, I, I will just say, Joan, Dan, let me know what you need me to do when you're done. <laughs> it's all good. And, you know, that's, you know, people who are watching this should consider those flavors of engagement with you guys because you have a really cool team. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, it's really a pleasure to be a part of your team for sure. Hmm? For sure. Well, Paul, thank you so much. Joan, thank you. For this, this has been delightful. The Digication Scholars Conversation Series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for watching.